We are currently uh, working our way through a series of messages entitled Stewarding Your Gifts and Your Talents Well. Stewarding Your Gifts and Your Talents Well. Today is the third session that we are speaking around that. It may be the last session. We'll just see how we go during the week. And, uh, you know, we usually say we're going to do this, we're going to do that. But it's always God willing that in the end what God impresses on us uh, that He wants done, that's what we will end up doing. Uh, we've said that... Uh, that God has uh, endowed each and every one of us with a set of gifts, talents, and special abilities. And along with that gift, uh, God has placed an expectation on us that we give God a return, that we are good stewards or that we are good managers uh, of those gifts and that we use them towards uh, building God's kingdom in the earth. Um, here in First Peter chapter 4 verse 10, and that's become our uh, theme scripture, our starting point, if you like, um, and it's in your outline, and it's on the screen behind me. It says, as each one has received a gift, ministry to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Our gifts are part of the grace of God in our lives. Um, a steward is a manager. A steward is one who manages uh, another's property. And in many respects, the gifts that God's given to us is actually a God's gift that have come into our lives and we manage them. We don't so much own them to do as we will, but we manage them uh, for God and God expects a return from our lives. We've said, and I'm still recapping, we've said that Sometimes we group the gifts together, kind of rudimentary, into three general areas. We say, number one, our time, number two, our talents, and number three, our treasures. Even the way that we spend our time, the way that we spend our money, it all ties into the very thing that we're discussing uh, in these sessions. And last week, we talked about the parable of the minas. Uh, and uh, we said that Jesus spoke about rewards um, for those who, will, who faithfully serve him in this life. And we said that those rewards will have their fulfillment in a future kingdom that Jesus will set up on this earth after his second coming. And we usually, you know, Bible scholars uh, refer to that thousand-year reign as the millennial reign of Christ. Millennial, uh, the word milli comes from the Latin word meaning a thousand. Jesus will set up a thousand-year reign on this earth. And he said that we, the faithful saint, saints, will rule and reign with him. So at this point, I would like to pick up uh, this morning and uh, have a look at stewardship again, this time from the parable of the talents. Now, last week we talked about the parable of the meanness. Uh, today we are talking about the parable of the talents. We've referred to it at various times. I would like to physically uh, look at the, uh, at the uh, parable here uh, in Matthew chapter 25. And I want to read to you from verse 14 right through to verse 30. So it's a lengthy reading, so please stay connected so we can get the full sense of what God is trying to get across to us today. So it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country. Now, this is Jesus speaking, and he says, uh, The kingdom of heaven is like. So he's now teaching us about the kingdom. He says, And he called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. 
Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug it in the ground, and he hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came, and he settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came, and he brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents besides them. And his Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and he said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, he says, I've gained two more talents besides them. And his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. But he who had received the one talent came and he said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you had not sown and gathering where you had not scattered seed. And I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. You can immediately see that there's quite a foul attitude right there, isn't there? Uh, so anyway, he says, there uh, you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, I knew, rather, you knew that I would reap where I had not sown and gather where I had not scattered seed. Uh, so you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers that at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Um, so take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And, and cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, as I said, a rather lengthy reading. There's no point in uh, just... Uh, you know, just looking at a couple of verses in that whole thing because it is one complete story. Uh, and I want to just gr grab the whole thing and then comment from it. Uh, for those of you that were here last week, uh, when we talked, the parable, uh, we talked about the parable of the minas, uh, you can see total similarities there um, between, uh, you know, the meaning of the one, uh, you know, the parable itself and then the meaning and the parable that we've just read and the meaning that we are about to uh, get into a little bit deeper. There are a few subtle differences that I would like to point out as we go. Um, once again, uh, I'm very, very clear in my mind that in this parable, as well as in the parable of the meanest, Jesus was speaking about rewards for those who faithfully serve him in this life. And the rewards are pointing forward. There's obviously rewards in this life. Um, and, and because the Bible says that the faithful man will abound with blessings. But Jesus in this parable here, he spoke about rewards to come. We talk about the life that is yet to come. Uh, and specifically, it makes reference to an event that will take place in heaven called the judgment seat of Christ. Um, and we had a look at the uh, two verses of Scripture in the New Testament that speak about that, uh, that there will be an event called the judgment seat or the beamer or the reward seat of Christ, where Christ um, will sit 
uh, and we will appear before him. We will give an account of ourselves, and obviously heaven has kept record of our faithfulness, and we will be rewarded according to our faithfulness. All right? And then the rewards uh, specifically spoken about in those two talents uh, deal with being given positions of authority uh, in the millennial reign of Christ. All right? Um, so first of all, the parable of the talents, uh, a talent was a, a measure of weight. Um, and typically, it was weighed out in silver. So a talent wasn't so much a coin, but it was a weight of silver, and they also had talents of gold. And I don't want to complicate matters, and I don't think that uh, Jesus was all that... Uh, you know, uh, 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 specific about whether it might have been the one or the other, but we're talking something very, very valuable. Now, when we spoke about the minas, a mina was in fact a coin, um, and in today's value, we said that a mina would typically be uh, maybe four months' worth of wages. So we will talk about perhaps a third of an annual salary, give or take in very round figures. We might say that one mina uh, is, say, $20,000, $15,000, 20000 $30,000, something like that. Now, a talent is made up of 60 minas. So in this instance here, Jesus was speaking about something of very, very high value. So if you take those $20,000 of one mina and multiply it by 60 to come up with one talent, you're talking about $1.2 million. When the Bible says that this man came and he called his servants to him and he gave them his goods, uh, and specifically speaking about abilities that God's given to us, time that God's given to us, uh, and resources that God put at our disposal. God places a very high value on it, all right? So don't be speaking uh, in a degrading way about your abilities. Uh, remember we said last week that in the parable of the minas, Jesus said, you have been faithful in a little. Faithful in a little, I will give you authority over much. Uh, even a little used consistently over a long period as we are saved will amount to a lot in the end when it comes to the time of giving out rewards. Uh, specifically, um, if you have a calling on your life of an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a pastor, a teacher, along with that comes a high responsibility to discharge that office that God has called you into and to fulfill that responsibility. Uh, and so what Jesus is speaking about here is something of high value, all right? So he's not talking about the widow's mite, which was a, a low-value coin. <laughs> he's speaking about something high value, all right? Um, so, um, the parable begins by Jesus talking about this man that was traveling to a far country. Uh, and similar to the parable that we looked at last week, this man represents Jesus Christ who went to heaven to receive a kingdom for himself. A far country to indicate that it was going to be gone for a long time. All right. Now, the main servants that he called, uh, these servants represent Christians, um, and in your outline today, 
I put in brackets, mostly Christians. And here's one of those subtle differences that we've got to uh, look at between the parable of the minus that we looked at last week and the parable of the talents. Uh, and I'll make reference to that in just a little while. Now, before his departure, this man who represents Jesus, he called his servants. He gave them some of these uh, silver you know, talents according to their abilities. And once again, these talents, they represent everything that is at our disposal. Gifting, talents, special abilities, whether they're natural abilities, spiritual abilities, whether they've been uh, inborn or whether they've been acquired, developed, the whole bundle of it uh, is all discussed right in there. Um, and uh, after a long time, it says that he returned to settle accounts with his servants and to find out how they've handled his goods. Uh, and so, in other words, Jesus wants to know how we've handled everything that was at our disposal. Uh, have we made good use of it? Have we been good stewards? Have we been faithful managers? Uh, you know, you get businesses to the, today uh, where the, you know, the, the, the management of it is, we say, owner-operated. The owner operates the business. But then you get other businesses where somebody owns the business, but a manager runs the business. And that's what's applicable right here uh, in terms of God's kingdom uh, in the earth. Uh, it's owned by God, but we are managing that in the earth. Uh, and specifically, your gifts and my gifts— the callings that God's placed on our lives. It's God's callings, it's God's gifts, but we manage them on God's behalf. Uh, the, the story starts out saying that the man called his servants together and gave him his goods. All right? Your gift is actually God's gift that's been deposited into your life, and God expects a return. Uh, the unfaithful steward, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself already, the unfaithful steward who hid his master's talent in the ground, uh, the master said to him, at least, at least, you should have given my money to the bankers and at least get interest out of it at the very least, rather than just, oh, here's your gift back again. All right, so God's definitely looking for a return uh, of his investment into our lives. So the first servant uh, with the five talent, talents, he had diligently traded with them, and it doubled his master's income. Um, so he obviously employed that talent. In this instance here, it is a value of money, a considerable sum of money in this um, parable here, as we said, uh, somewhere to the tune of 1.2 million of our dollars. Um, and uh, he doubled his master's investment, and he received... Uh, three things, uh, and I just want to break things down. He received three things. Number one, he received a commendation from his Lord. His Lord said to him, his master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. Uh, well done. Uh, so that was a commendation. Then number two, he received a promotion to rulership. Um, and in, in, to reward him for his faithfulness, and number three, he received an invitation to enter, in this instance, he says, to enter the joy of your Lord. Now, let me just talk a little bit about that joy of your Lord. And uh, there is not any hard and fast explanation given regarding that. Uh, but I would um, envisage that to once again be the millennial reign of Christ, which is yet to come. 
Now, the Bible speaks about the joy that was set before Christ in Hebrews chapter, is it chapter 12? It says, who, Christ who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And that joy was to bring many sons into glory. So each, each time when somebody gets born again, Jesus gets joy. And as Benita pointed out before, each time that happens, there's a party in heaven where even the angels of God rejoice that yet one other sinner has repented. So there's joy there. But the real joy that Jesus is looking forward uh, to is when we're in the kingdom together to come. So when he says, enter the joy of your Lord, I believe that means enter the kingdom. Because you see, not everybody's going to get into that kingdom. Uh, now, you and I, if you're born again, we're in, in Jesus' kingdom right now. It is a spiritual kingdom. It has no borders, natural borders, uh, so to speak. It is a spiritual kingdom. But when we get into the millennial reign of Christ, it is a literal kingdom. And not everybody is going to enter into that. So that invitation to enter in is given to the faithful ones. Uh, so number one, a commendation. Number two, a promotion. And number three, an invitation. I made reference uh, in our first session together when we talked about, you know, people say, well, what, what motivates you uh, to serve God? And what motivates you to go through the tough times and to keep going and to not fall over? Well, one of the things that motivates me is those words that are spoken right in there where he says, well done, good and faithful servant. I know about you. That's what I want to hear. When I get to heaven, I'm not all that keen. I'm not a very highly ambitious man myself. Uh, you know, rulership or not rulership, that's all. God will work all of that out. But I want to hear those words. And you know, the tragedy is if we had enough time, we would swing into somebody's verses. But the Bible speaks about those who will be ashamed at his coming. I don't want to be ashamed when he comes. I don't want to receive a rebuke. I don't want to just, you know, like, oh, yep. Here he is, uh, let him in, you know, <laughs> because salvation is by grace. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And uh, that's not going to happen by mistake or by accident. That will only happen by intention. You and I have to be intent on serving Christ no matter what. No matter what they say, no matter what they do. No matter where we might think that this should have gone better this way or that way, no matter what we have endured. You know, in the, in the back of your outline, uh, in, the, in the small group discussion portion, there's a scripture in there, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. And uh, the... It's not up on the screen as we're in plain for this. But it says here, if we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we endure. But if we deny him, he will also deny us. And there's a reality, friends, where sometimes a social gospel is preached that only speaks about the nice bits and not about the other bits that are also in there that should deeply, deeply challenge us in each and every one of our hearts, all right? Because, uh, you see, good news is ultimately really only appears as good news if you know what the bad news looks like, all right? If you only put the good news up here and you put the bad news away, then the good news might not seem all that attractive, 
all right? But you put good news uh, along bad news, and then God says, choose you this day whom you will serve. All right, is everybody good with that? So I'm, I'm deeply stirred in my heart in those areas. Um, and somebody said, uh, you know, talking to somebody a while ago and say, you know, when, when you know, you as a, as, a, as a leader in the body of Christ, do you, you know, like, uh, do you, you know, you encourage people? And somebody, well, yeah, well, I suppose so. And is, there's a, do you, uh, you know, rebuke people? And, and I said, well, you know, and, or do you correct people? Says, Here, what, here's what happens. I preach the word. The word encourages people. The word rebukes people. The word corrects people. The word, if we preach the word, the word does everything that we need it to do. You know, sometimes people get up and say, oh, I challenge you and this and that. Look, the word deeply challenges. I don't need somebody to come and challenge me. The word deeply challenges me. I read those pages and I think, wow, you know, like, you know, what do I want to hear? Well done. That's, that's what I want to hear. That deeply challenges me. Um, and uh, in terms of uh, what's before me, well, that's before me quite a bit. Um, so, you know, the reality is uh, people can do what they do and they can say what they say or not do what they do. Uh, I'm intending to be one of the ones that will endure. Um, if... If you endure, if you endure, endure. Friends, it's not how we start out in the kingdom of God. It's not how we start out. It's, it's how we end up uh, is what matters. I remember I had a discussion with a uh, senior minister early in the early days, um, near enough 30 years ago when, you know, we planted the church here with a team of people. And uh, this man talked about... Uh, talked about, you know, some concerns that he had. And this is a man that was an international minister. He'd started a couple of Bible colleges. He pastored several churches. This is no spring chicken, all right? This was a senior man in God. And we listened to him, and he said a few things uh, uh, and so forth. And so he said to me, he says, do you believe in the doctrine of once saved, always saved? Once saved, always saved. Uh, and uh, I said, well, I says, I think we would have to uh, obviously define what exactly we mean by that because, you know, that's, that phrase, once saved, always saved, means different things to different people. So to get us all on the same page, we would have to define exactly what we mean by that. But here is what I believe. I don't believe that somebody that gets saved and serves God, somebody finds themselves along the way and says, oh, oh, I think I might have lost my salvation. That they, you don't just lose your salvation, but it is possible that somebody that once got saved doesn't get there right to the very end because they got sidetracked and they got sort of got into other things and, and got into just away from God, away from their salvation, away from the things of God, away from faith, and ran their faith completely shipwrecked. Um, and I said to him, uh, says, when I read through the book of Hebrews uh, in terms of the way that the wording in the Word of God is spoken about that. There are too many ifs in there, too many ifs, for me to want to leave that up to chance. Because here is one if. He says, if you endure. Well, right there, I'm saying to myself, I will endure. I'm, I don't give that an if. Oh, there's, there's no chance for an if in here for me, for me personally. And I'd encourage everybody else to not give that a chance. All right, so here we go. We're coming back to this man that had five uh, talents and traded and made another five. 
He received a commendation, uh, he received a promotion, and he received an invitation into the joy of your Lord. Now, the second servant, uh, with two talents, had also served diligently, and he doubled his master's investment. Um, and interestingly, his master gave him exactly the same commendation, exactly the same uh, promise of a promotion, and uh, also an invitation. Word for word, it's the same words. Now, we found out last week, according to the parable of the minas, that those who are going extra strong in serving God, uh, that there will be a higher level of rewards, but the, in, the commendation is there, the promotion is there, and the invitation is there. All right, so uh, coming to the third servant, he buried his talent and he produced nothing. Um, he was a um, he was a, um, a an individual that was afraid. He the one of the first things says, "I was afraid." He operated in fear. He was also confused. He was majorly confused concerning the character of God. Um, he says, I knew you to be a heart man. He didn't say, I think you're a heart man to his master. He says, I knew you were a heart man. You know, there are many people that are in error concerning their, you know, understanding of things, uh, but they're convinced about their error. He says, I knew you to be a heart man. So he was very, very confused. Uh, furthermore, he was very accusatory towards his master. Like he blamed his master for his own fruitlessness for his non-production. You were a hard man. You were going to reap where you hadn't sown. You were going to uh, do this, he says, so I buried the talent here. You have back what is yours. Um, this servant here uh, was, as we say, afraid, confused, accusatory. He is wicked and he is lazy. His master said to him, you wicked and you, la you lazy servant. Um, and um, he received a rebuke from his master for his wickedness and for his laziness. He had his talent taken away from him. He was not given an invitation into the joy of your Lord. He wasn't given an invitation into the kingdom. But he was actually cast into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, Jesus used that phrase, weeping and gnashing of teeth, several times in his preaching in the Gospels. And it's never good news. Um, it's never good news. It indicates, in outer darkness, it indicates a place of punishment. It indicates a place of separation and it also indicates a place of suffering. And in my thoughts, my understanding of this, um, and this is somebody might, you know, argue around that because things are not like 100% clear when we compare this parable with the one that we looked at last week. In my view, uh, my view is that this place can only mean hell. Because in God's kingdom, 
There is no outer darkness. There is no suffering. There is no weeping. And there is no gnashing of teeth. Now, I said earlier on that there are a few subtle differences between this parable and the one that we spoke about last week. Um, because right here, people might say, oh, gosh, did this man lose his salvation? Did the third servant lose his salvation? And the answer to that question that I will give is no, he didn't lose his salvation. His, his lack of genuine fruitfulness and productivity in God's kingdom indicates that there, is, there was a lack of true repentance and there's an absence of a genuine conversion. He had never come under the lordship of Jesus Christ and he was never saved. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that rather sobering. Um, and here are those subtle differences between the parable of the minas and the parable of the talents. You remember that in the parable of the minas, we talked about three groups of people uh, or individuals. First of all, there was the man representing Jesus Christ. Then secondly, there were the servants, uh, three servants specifically discussed. And thirdly, there were the citizens who rejected the rule of the master over their life. The citizens were all the unbelievers who were never saved and therefore will never have a part in heaven or in God's kingdom. Now, in the parable of the talents, Jesus dropped out the citizens. He's already dealt with those in the other parable. Here, there's only, there's only two, uh, two, two groups, if you like, of servants. The ones who are the true servants, truly born again, and the ones who are pretend servants who have never been born again. Um, I state again that salvation is by grace and by grace alone. That's through faith in Jesus Christ. But rewards are in direct proportion to the way that you and I have conducted ourselves in this life and how we have served Christ. Uh, and we've got to make sure that we don't get those two confused. This man was not cast into outer darkness, into hell, if that's what it is, because he didn't serve right. He was never born again, and his lack of productivity showed exactly that. Um, if somebody claims to be a Christian and says, I'm a child of God, um, and there is a complete lack of motivation towards serving Christ, towards being involved in God's kingdom to help with building the kingdom on the earth, I think we would have a right to question their salvation. Because Jesus um, spoke about, he says, bring forth fruits of repentance. If you say you have repented, then bring forth the fruit of a changed lifestyle and bring forth the motivation to want to help to snatch other people out of the kingdom of darkness and to help to bring them into the kingdom of God. Because if heaven is a real place and, and hell is a real place and you've had the revelation of it, how could you just sit there and not do nothing? <laughs> All right. Um, now, of course, all of us get involved in different ways. And let me tell you, there's no point in looking at other people and judging them 
in any way whatsoever because we don't really know what they do in God's kingdom. Some of our service is visible. Other people's service is very invisible, yet it's still there, and it is still deemed as necessary and it is viable as somebody else's service, which is visible. Let me give you two examples. There might be a dear lady, uh, say, sitting there in church uh, and, uh, and seemingly not directly involved in anything going on specifically, but nobody knows the hours that she spends at home in a place that we might call the prayer closet, praying and interceding and lifting up people before the Lord, and that is her primary service in the purposes of God. Nobody sees it. And people like that don't go around breaking either. They're usually very quiet people. And so it's not good for us to look at somebody else and say, oh, you're not doing anything because we don't really know. So that's the first area, prayer and intercession, uh, which is a very viable, necessary function um, in the kingdom of God. Another example to use is I've got a friend um, that's got some substantial business, uh, businesses running, business interests uh, uh, on the go and substantial investments in property nowadays and what have you. Um, and I happen to know he's not part of our church, he's not part of our city, he's from somewhere else, uh, but I know him well. And I happen to know that uh, in terms of his involvement, direct involvement in the local church on a Sunday during services or other things, there's not a lot going on because his business demands a lot from him in terms of his available time, his energy. But what people don't know, that the checks that this man carries into the church and drops into the offering bucket, like I'm talking mega money uh, comparatively with other people, that is his major contribution into the kingdom of God and it is a very viable contribution now, I'm not saying that as soon as somebody tithes that's all we need to do I'm not saying that but for this man he's got the gift of giving uh, mentioned in Romans chapter 12 it speaks about different gifts there and the gift of giving people that have that gift typically have got the ability to make mega, mega money and uh, to bring mega money into the local church they're the sorts of people that would walk into a church uh, and they would say, um, this needs fixing. How are you going to pay for that? Or, or do you need a new thing over there? Or do you, you know, these are the sorts of people that think dollars and cents. Um, most of us haven't thought about dollars and cents when we came to church this morning, but these are the people that do that. They would say, look, I see that you're... Uh, driver next door needs resealing. Uh, how much money is that going to cost? And, and, and sometimes they might say, can I help you towards that? Or just, uh, they just dump a lot of money uh, into the church account and just, just go and get it done. Uh, so that's why I'm telling you, it is not good for us to look at other people and to judge them because we don't really know what their contribution into God's kingdom may be. So um, this third servant... Um, was cast into outer darkness. He represents a non-born-again uh, individual that might have had some involvement here and there. He had a talent. Um, he buried it. Um, and you know, according to Jesus, and this is a sobering truth, according to Jesus, there are many such people in so-called Christian circles. Many. 
let's turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7. And here in verse 21, Jesus, he just got through talking about fruit, producing fruit. He says, by their fruit you shall know them. And here he says in verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Now you will notice there in your outline the word who says and who does are printed in bold. So it's not just say, say, but it's also do, do. And when Jesus finishes with that section here, he flows on into the parable of the foundations. He talks about those who are doers of the word and those who, who, hear, who, who are hearers only. Um, he says, many will say to me in that day. Uh, what day is that? Well, that is the day when people will stand before the Lord. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, I know that this is uh, not a particularly rah-rah sort of a message here today, but the reality is we've got to preach the whole counsel of God so that we can get the full story. Now, what's going on here? Many will say to me in that day, we prophesied in your name. So these were people that were in Christian circles prophesying. These were people that uh, did deliverance and cast out devils. These were people that were engaged to a certain point, but yet Jesus will say, I never knew you depart from me, which is kind of, I don't know about you, if that uh, does not deeply challenge you, it certainly deeply challenges me. Now, a friend of mine, um, some years ago now, in fact, many years ago now, he made an interesting comment. Um, he talked about the fact that the Bible speaks about false apostles, false prophets. Uh, there'll be false teachers. The Bible also speaks about false brethren, pretend Christians. And he touched on some of these scriptures, and he asked a question, he says, where are they? Where are they? <laughs> well, they're around us. They're, they're in, the, in, the, in, the, in the Christian world. Some of them would be on Christian television, Christian internet. Some of them would have written books. I was just with some uh, elderly Ministers, um, Pastor Vanessa and I had some time with a couple that have been in ministry for a long time and some of the things that they've experienced and some of the things that they talked about is like there was sufficient concern there about one individual that's a big name. If I were to mention his name, you would absolutely, most likely have heard the name. And I was like, what? You, what are you telling me? Like, you know, that what this man is now saying and what he gets up to. Um, just very concerning. Very, very, very concerning. You know, I, I usually say, find a Bible-believing church, and the place of safety is in your church. 
I say, praise God if we can supplement the teaching that we receive in, in the house that we belong to, you know, through books and, you know, CDs and whatever we do and supplement everything. But, but your place of safety is the local church. God told Noah to build an ark. And ultimately, the place of safety was only in the ark. It wasn't close to the ark. It, it was only safe inside the ark. And you being close to the local church is not safe. You're only safe inside the local church. You know, when judgment begins to fall, the ark went up. And uh, before judgment is put out, during the great tribulation, which will last for seven years, God will call the church up. People go in the rapture. There's a kind of a picture here. The ark went up and the church goes up. Your place of safety and my place of safety is to be together with other brothers and sisters in strong accountability relationships uh, and to, to stick closely to the Word. Um, and uh, I say all of that uh, because this uh, scripture here, that Matthew, in Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus says, many will say to me in that day, well, Jesus does not lie. We know that. He does not exaggerate. We know that. He knows that there will be many. And I find that a very scary thought. All right? Now, praise God. Let me just flow on um, into the next point. Uh, we do have a little time left. I just had a sudden moment like where we're at with time. We have a little time left. Um, let, me, let me speak to you about the results of our stewardship in God's kingdom that will be tested to reveal its true nature. First uh, Corinthians chapter 3 verse 11 through to verse 15, Paul the apostle spoke to the Corinthian church about um, what he does and what others around him do and what uh, I guess each person in God's kingdom would potentially do if they get involved. He says, he says, as a wise master builder, he says, I have laid the foundation. And we know that much of the church and the understanding that we have today, uh, it's obviously built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, but much of the teaching of all of that, Paul the apostle brought to the church. He says, I've laid the foundation, and he says, others build on it. He says, I have planted, Apollos watered. Apollos was a co-worker of Paul's. He says, and God gives the increase. And now we're nearly 2,000 years on from when the church was first planted. We're still building on the same foundation. We're still watering what's already been sown and built, and God is still giving increase. People are still getting born again, and they're still coming into the church. God is adding to the church, uh, as it says in the book of Acts, daily those who are being saved. And then Paul flows on, and then he begins to speak about rewards. He says here in verse 11, he says, No other foundation can anyone lay than which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it. Now, notice the word day here is printed with capital D. This is a special day. This is a specific day. I personally believe that this day will be the day when we stand before Christ on the judgment seat of Christ. Because that day, things will be totally revealed. 
He says, uh, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Now, uh, what's Paul speaking about? Well, he's talking about that everything that we're producing in this life, uh, in terms of what we do, will either fit into the gold, silver, precious stone bracket or into the hay, wood, and straw bracket. Now, very clearly, this is, if you like, uh, like a parable where Paul uses natural materials to tell a story to convey to us a spiritual truth. Gold, silver, and precious stones are durable and permanent materials that are indicative of works of eternal value. Whereas straw, wood, and, uh, and hay are temporary and short-term materials that are indicative of works of only temporary value. Now, you know what? Unsaved people, all they do is produce temporary things. You know, going to work, make a, try to make a lot of money, build a house. All of these things are, you know, we need to work. We need to earn money. We need to uh, have a place to live in, and all of that's wonderful. But if that's all we do... When Jesus comes, is that there will be nothing there of eternal value that will translate into rewards in the life to come. If I were to take a pile of gold, silver, and precious stones, of precious stones, some diamond, <laughs> jade, you name it, and pile it up here in front of us into a pile, and I were to take a flamethrower and I put a gust of, uh, you know, flames through that, uh, by the time we're finished with that, what you see is gold, silver, and precious stones because these are durable materials. Now, don't keep the flame on it too long. Gold will me melt, but it'll still be there. All right? Now, if I were to pile up over here a pile of wood, um, hay, and straw, um, and put the flamethrower on it, It'll just all ignite, and in a puff of smoke, and then it's all gone. All right? <laughs> now, I grew up on the farm. We used to burn straw at times if we didn't use it for other means and, and different things. And, uh, and so we can very clearly see that there's two different types of materials. And Paul says when you build on it uh, or, or try to build on it, you will either use the one or you will use the other. And here it says that each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. Now, I don't know what that fire is going to look like, um, and I don't know all the specifics. All I can see is what I can see. Now, book of Revelation is at chapter 14, tells us, and it says, precious is the death of God's saints who die, you know, in the Lord. And it says, then they go to heaven and their works follow them. So what happens is when we go to heaven, if we're born again, and that's the only way to get there, our works follow us. And we might have a pile of this or a pile of that or a mixture of the two. Uh, and uh, some would say, well, is there going to be literal fire? Well, I don't think so. I don't think this is literal fire that the Bible speaks about. But I have some thoughts here. The scripture that's, and again, it's printed in your outline. Um, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 13, verse 14 
it speaks here about that Jesus Christ uh, appeared to John, the revelator, and he says, one like the Son of Man came to him. And he says, his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. So the, the piercingness of Jesus' eyes, that could be that fire that Paul speaks about, but I'm not sure. I'm not saying it's this, I'm not saying it that. But here's one thing that I'm very sure of. When we stand before Christ, you know, we might have been able to impress one another. We might have even been able to fool one another. But we can't impress Jesus with anything but genuine works, and we certainly can't fool him. All right. So I'm saying all of that, that uh, I would really, really encourage you, use your gifts to full capacity, and use it to produce eternal results. Each time when we serve in the church and what we do, the church is eternal. You know, the heavens and the earth will pass away and even just, you know, even just what we're building here in terms of physical building, it's necessary, but one of, all of that's going to disappear as well. But, but we're building, we're doing what we can, we're building into people's lives, we're building into God's kingdom because in the end that will be the only thing that will remain. He, Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away. All right? And of course, in that instance, he says, but my word will remain, but the church will also remain. If we're building into the church, we're building into the kingdom, we're producing materials that could be likened to gold, silver, and precious stones. God considers, considers the church to be about the most precious thing there is um, in terms of, uh, you know, on into eternity. Obviously, people are precious, but in the end, Jesus will take t spend time with the church throughout eternity. So when we build into God's kingdom and we are building the church, Jesus says, I will build my church, and you and I are enlisted to help build the church. As I said, that takes different forms. And even when we honor God, we bring our tithe and we bring our offering. People say it's only money, but it helps the church to pay the bills. All right? I mean, there's just a myriad of things uh, that we do and that we can do to get involved. But use your gift. Um, and, uh, and not just restricted to the house. When you go out to work on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or however you work hours, you're God's representative in that environment. Use your gifts in that environment as well because you're there as a representative of God's kingdom and produce something of eternal value. And in the end, only people are eternal. All right? People. It's reaching people for God and helping them to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. So at this point, I will, um, we will uh, finish uh, the, the, the message right there. So I'm not quite sure where we'll go next week, um, but I think we've done a reasonably good summary. And the whole point being is that you and I um, become or are good stewards of the gifts, stewarding our gifts well. Find the gifts, develop the gifts, use the gifts. Do the best you can. Make sure you endure. Don't get tossed out of the race. Don't get passed over. Don't, don't let anybody uh, put you off course. You keep serving Jesus so that in the end, you and I will hear the words where Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant.